and welcome to Eyes Free Fitness podcast number 20. I'm Lisa Salinger, and on our last podcast, we took a little bit of a detour from our regular format, and we're going to do that again this time. We're going to have an interview first, this time about labyrinths. This was a topic that was very new to me, and if it is new to you, or maybe not so new, I encourage you to stick with us, and if you have any comments or questions, to certainly leave us your feedback. After that, I will be doing part one, basically, of a two-part segment We're going to be talking today about the health app on the iPhone. Then in part two, we're going to be talking about one of the most popular apps for wearable devices, that being the Fitbit app. So I hope that you will enjoy that. As I said, this time the health app. And then on an upcoming podcast, we will talk about the Fitbit And I should say that the discussion of the Fitbit app is coming directly as a result of listener feedback. So if there are topics that you would like us to cover, we'd love to hear from you. We'd love to know because podcasting out into the great void is fine, of course, but we want to talk about topics that are of interest to you and bring you information that is useful or helpful to you. So without taking any more time on getting started, let's actually do that and let's go ahead and bring you our interview about labyrinths. I'm very pleased to be here today with a longtime friend and someone that I think our listeners will find of interest. I'm pleased to be speaking today with Maya Scott. She is a massage therapist and an all-around creative. She has worked with disabled and non-disabled communities in art and theater. She is a labyrinth facilitator, a techie, and an all-around interested and interesting person. Hello, Maya, and welcome. Hi. Wow. Thank you for that overview. That's pretty um, fun to hear about that stuff through your eyes. I had to promise to keep it podcast safe. (laughs) We have room together at national conventions, so many capers could be shared, but... uh, The dog did it, so let's let's leave it at that. Yes, the dog always did. So I actually was very anxious to sit down and talk to you about this subject because I know almost nothing about it. So this will really give me a chance to learn and hopefully others will learn as well. What I'd like to talk to you about tonight specifically is your interest in labyrinths. Can you tell us a little bit about what a labyrinth is and how you got interested in that. Ooh, a topic to my heart. I love talking about labyrinths. Um, I first learned about labyrinths at a a workshop and 
basically what a labyrinth is, oftentimes people think it's a maze, but it's not. It's used as a meditation tool or a tool for prayer, depending on whether you feel like talking or listening. And um, it looks like a maze, but there's only one way in and there you take the same path to get out. There are big ones, oftentimes built into the floors of churches or retreat centers and out in parks. Uh, a lot of schools have them now. They're in a lot of hospitals. And uh, they can range in size from, you know, fittable to into your living room to uh, 90 feet wide. So it really depends on who builds them. Wow. And yeah, they're, they're fascinating. They can even get to be uh, the size of a pendant for that matter. Cause I, you know, there's people who make them into jewelry as well. And one of my favorite type of labyrinths is the finger labyrinth. And we talk about walking a labyrinth, which literally could mean with your feet, but also with your finger. So when I'm talking about walking a labyrinth, uh, envision it full scale or something that you do on your lap in the comfort of your office or living room. And I especially love the tactile labyrinths because they are reasonably inexpensive. You can take them with you. You can uh, tuck it into a drawer and um, always have a very cool meditation tool for, for you. Um, I think one of the things that I am fascinated about with labyrinths versus mazes, uh, Lauren Artris, who kind of started the this country's craze or uh, trend of building more and more labyrinths in public places, uh, she summed it up so well and said a, a labyrinth enables you to find your way and a maze encourages you to lose your way. So depending on what you want to do, mazes are great if you want to lose your way and have fun with that. And if you want uh, a safe, uh, quiet experience, then a labyrinth could be what you're, you're looking for. And I especially like the labyrinth because I like to move. I like to dance. I like to walk. I'm not always the person who wants to sit still and stare at a wall when I meditate. And walking the labyrinth enables me to focus my um, my vision. I'm not necessarily just talking about my eyesight. Um, I do have some functional vision, but I'm talking about um, the collective vision of what's going on in life, the monkey mind, the what's got to do next. And it lets me focus on exactly what I'm doing in a way that lets me leave everything else behind. Because I could always go back to that. And either just find quiet or ask a question or celebrate or grieve. I retired my first guide dog on a labyrinth for that matter. Wow. Wow. So I'm beginning to make connections and see parallels in my own mind. But if you would solidify those connections. Um, we deal on this podcast primarily with health, mm -hmm. mind and body and all facets and aspects of health. How is the labyrinth or practice of the labyrinth connected to health? 
Ah, um, for me, I find that meditation in general and some form of practice that changes my pace and affects my outlook is something that will allow me to keep my blood pressure down, keep me balanced, uh, keep me uh, psychologically uh, a bit more clear than if I don't stop and step back. And also another interesting thing about literally physically walking a labyrinth, for instance, the one that's very popular right now uh, that's been very popular since the 90s that was formed from the uh, Chartres Cathedral Labyrinth in France. It's like 42 feet uh, across and it's rather big and windy and it swirls in and out on itself uh, 11 circuits, 11 times. And as I understand it, it's somewhere between a quarter of a mile and a third of a mile walk into the middle and back out again. And so you're walking, uh, which is a good thing. You're ambulating. You're also doing a lot of hairpin turns, which is great for um, challenges with balance. I've heard of uh, sighted people who get vertigo walking them because they're turning back and forth and um, have to readjust how they, they focus. And a lot of people in hospitals use them. There's, of course, family and loved ones um, who use them to just cope. There's staff who use them to step away. And then there's a lot of patients who use them for rehabilitation. Um, I built one at a New Living Expo, and there was a woman who was uh, ambulatory who used a wheelchair, and she decided to use my labyrinth, which was made out of 800 handprints, um, as her morning um, therapy, she called it. And um, she loved it. It made her happy and feel good. And I'm barely touching the core of the health benefits for um, the process of walking a labyrinth. Uh, just one of the other favorites is the right and left brain um, connection. It's fascinating. The thing that intrigues me of all the things that you're mentioning is kind of the multi-sensory aspect. I agree. I mean, my idea of a good time is not um, the traditional meditation idea of, as you put it, sitting and staring at a wall. And <laughs> Mel and I were at an expo recently in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and we met a fascinating woman, and we hope to have her on a podcast soon. And I don't remember for sure if she was saying that this was something she has seen or something she predicts coming, but something about the next wave of like exercise classes being physical exercise and this almost liturgical, not as in religion, but almost as in the nature and sound, like this call and response, mm. chanting, singing with exercise and movement and this 
multi-sensory, multi-faceted stuff Ugh. that just... I know, it just gave me goosebumps. And yeah, the I'm getting the chilies here. <laughs> yeah, the labyrinth sounds very similar. Or, um, well, as you know, you introduced me to um, the singing bowl, which I think mm. is just a fascinating thing. And I could see someone walking a labyrinth and, you know, using a singing bowl as part of his or her meditation. So we yes. have just scratched the surface. Um, mm -hmm. Talk a little bit, if you would, about your tactile labyrinth and any modifications or any modifications, if there are any, that you have had to make or have as a visually impaired person when um, either participating in labyrinth workshops or walking a labyrinth? Ooh, two fun questions. I'm going to start with the second half first, if that's okay. Sure. Because um, it just kind of makes me, it's sort of the root of this whole thing that got me walking in circles. Um, and when I was at this labyrinth workshop, it was rather crowded. They had a canvas labyrinth. The lights were low. I have a little functional sight. And I'm the kind of person that always feels like I'm in the way and I should move. So during this walk, I kept on stepping off the path to let other people's, people go by. Because you're walking the same path as people coming back from the center. So part of the challenge of walking the labyrinth with other people is the process of passing gently. And I kept on getting lost. Supposedly you're not supposed to be able to get lost on a labyrinth, but the thing kept on spitting me out to the entrance. And I got really, really frustrated. And I started having me a good little pity party and saying, why is it that I always have to do things twice as long and twice as hard as everyone else. Why can't I just make it to the center like everyone else? So three or four times I went back in and finally I got to the center and I was there with these people walking and swirling around me and going, yay, I made it to the center and inner and inner. And I made my way back out. And then I realized, you know, I'm the lucky one because I got to be in the process. I got to be on the journey and be on that labyrinth with the beautiful music and the lights four times more than other people who made it right to the center. And it made me think about how often I set my heart on a, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? I set my, my heart on a goal. And then I realize that I'm pushing so hard to make it that I'm not enjoying the process. And then the goal isn't always as exciting as I think it is when it's not in my grasp. So it really taught me to enjoy the journey and that my journey is no better or worse than the average person's because um, I get the chance to luxuriate in it. And that was a big life lesson for me. And that's what latched me on to walking the labyrinth was the chance to learn in this very kinesthetic meditative process to discover um, symbolism and life lessons. And just to go back to your, the first part, the modifications, um, there 
art, I haven't really had to encounter any modifications um, personally. Uh, it's always helpful to turn the lights up a little bit and not be as crowded as that one workshop if I want to make it. Otherwise, shoot, I'll just enjoy dancing around with everyone else and being in in, in the zone. So um, I guess it kind of depends on how adamant I am about doing it, quote unquote, right, which there is no right way to walk a labyrinth, FYI. And the tactile labyrinth, back to part one of your question, I um, there aren't a lot of tactile labyrinths, except for maybe garden labyrinths that are made out of like mulch and rocks or grass and pavers or different kinds of surfaces that uh, that change. I know there's a couple of uh, people in Canada who are working on a labyrinth that has a railing, which is a very different process. It's something that you can just sort of ease through rather than that you have to focus on. So I'm always questioning about modifications and how one can maintain that sense of, um, I'm losing my words again, integrity for the person walking to have to actively participate in the focusing. So um, it's an ongoing yeah. question for me. That seems like it would be a totally different experience. I mean, I went to summer camp for the blind mm -hmm. and it was really fun. I mean, cause there were rails and I used to love to hold onto the rails and run. Yes. But it was very easy to like hold onto the rail and like go with the flow. But when I picture attacked a labyrinth, I almost picture like walking barefoot in this very sort of connected to the earth kind of way. Yes. And feeling with your feet, like finding the path with your feet. Yes, yes, yes. That's exactly what my tactile labyrinth um, allows you to do. And I think, I think at this point I can claim to have the only portable tactile labyrinth that exists at the moment. And it is a 15 foot circle and it has seven times that you circle around into the middle. And there's different types of labyrinths. This is a classical one. So you go around the circle all the way before you loop back and go around again. So that kind of gives you an idea. And um, I ordered the labyrinth itself from Labyrinth Enterprises, who makes the labyrinths. And I said that I want to put rope on the edges of the path so that it can be felt. And I want to put webbing over it so that it's you know nice and sturdy and thick. And they are experts at their craft and didn't feel as confident doing that because it might mess everything up. Who knows? It's not been done before. So I ended up taking it to a local sailmaker who said, sure, I've seen one of these before. Let's make it happen. And so now you can walk it um, barefoot and you can feel the edges of the path with your toes and you can follow it with one foot or, you know, keep your feet in the middle. And for some people when, and I've used this labyrinth for both sighted and um, non-sighted groups, um, I like to have everyone wear blindfolds 
And I've noticed for some people their balance is affected because it is a little bit of an uneven surface. And I've had some people who feel more comfortable getting on their hands and knees, um, which I've heard of people doing that for pilgrimage walks as well. For um, Like in Europe, back in the day, during the Crusades, they would walk the labyrinth on hands and knees. So um, there's always ways that you can, you can do it and feel safe. I feel like this whole discussion has been very labyrinthian if that is indeed a word because <laughs> it we're is. going and we're circling around and around and we mm-hmm. haven't even come near to the center but this is very fascinating and i would encourage our listeners to look at the show notes we're going to have some information that you can check out for further learning and further reading I'd like to thank Maya for coming and sharing her expertise with us. Maya, is there any way that people can contact you if they would like more information or maybe if they are in your general area and have uh, an event where possibly uh, you'll be that they could see the uh, tactile labyrinth? Yes. Um, If you feel like just going on line and playing and looking at stuff that I've done. I have a website and that is www.mayamaya.us. That's M-A-I-A-M-A-I-A dot U-S. And if you'd like to contact me, I would love to um, hear any of your questions or inspirations. And my email is maya, M-A-I-A dot moving forward M-O-V-I-N-G-F-O-R-W-A-R-D at gmail.com. And in fact, I'm going to be doing a tactile labyrinth workshop at a um, guide dogs for the blind reunion thing in Portland um, coming up in September. Fantastic. Well, we wish you all the best with that. And thank you for talking to us. Thanks for having me and for circumnavigating a uh, find an interesting subject. I'm pleased now to be back to tell you about the health app that is available on all Apple iOS devices, meaning iPhone, iPod Touch, and iPad. I'm here to talk about this app not so much because it is a marvel of modern technology, but because it can be, and I think at some point it will be, and also because there is one item in particular that is part of the app that I think is extremely important. The way the app is laid out, it will be discussed at the end of this walkthrough, So you'll need to hang on with me until the end to find out what that very important part is. With some of the Apple Health information, you need to take it with a bit of a grain of salt. For example, I have a Fitbit device and it does not interface with the Health app. It does interface with my fitness pal and my fitness pal interfaces with the health app. However, 
the information for some reason is not always accurate. I tried using another app that interfaced with the health app and things were getting very messed up because it was basically telling me I was eating in excess of 4,000 calories a day because each app was counting my calories once and I had a few apps in there that were doing the same thing and instead of interfacing they were essentially arguing. So it's not perfect except for I think this final part which is definitely worth what it does all by itself and I think the other parts will progress as we go along. So let's take a look at what we've got. I'm going to open the health app. One health dashboard heading. There are four tabs along the bottom of the app. Selected dashboard tab. One of health data tab. Two of four sources tab. Three of four medical ID tab. Four of four. The first tab and the one that is selected is dashboard and this, I believe, is meant to give information about your health at a glance. I don't really use this, again, as I said, because for me, it is not accurate. Your information may vary. If you use another app, or you use another wearable device, or you input the information manually, this may work well for you. Selected week button to day dashboard heading. Okay, so we have the dashboard heading at the very top of the screen. Day button one of four. Then you can sort your information by day, week, month, or year. 623 June 3005 step year button steps 1566 steps daily average 3522 last update. Now I know that this is off um, this is probably about a third of what I'm doing in a day. So, again, this whole thing is not very useful for me. This screen primarily will show your calories, your steps, and your flights climbed, although I believe you can customize that. Let's move on to the next tab. Health data, tab, two of four. Selected, health data, tab, two of four. This is pretty fascinating because it seems like they have thought of just about everything. Search. Search field. Double tap to edit. If you want to look for a specific nutrient or specification, you can search for it here. All. If you want to see everything that can be monitored or tracked, then the all category is probably where you'll want to look. However, there are numerous, numerous options. I was really amazed at how many. And so they've been divided into categories for convenience. Body measurements. Body measurements. This is pretty self-explanatory. This is weight, height, BMI. And you can input this information or if you have a connected device like a scale, it can input some of that information for you. Fitness. Fitness 
This is some of the information that you've seen on the dashboard. Me. Me. This is things like your birth date and your weight, uh, your blood type, all kinds of things you uh, might want to enter that together could give your the doctor or even you uh, depending a complete picture of what's going on with your health nutrition nutrition let's just take a look in here flora nutrition health data back button nutrition heading biotin caffeine calcium carbohydrates chloride chromium copper dietary calories dietary cholesterol fiber so this just gives you an example of the kinds of things that you can monitor everything from fiber to chromium uh, some things considered more major some things just trace minerals health data back button health data search search field vitals sleep result nutrition results results these are often test results that you can input after having seen your doctor or access them online sleep information related to your sleep often a tracker will uh, be helpful to import that kind of thing vitals and your vitals for example heart rate blood pressure blood sugar again some things you can input manually some if you have a device with an app that will share that information you can use that and of course when you share information it is not just indiscriminately shared you have to give your permission first for the app to share with the health app selected health data tab two of four sources tab three of four selected sources tab three of four this is the sources tab and there's not a whole lot in here but it is important apps heading heart rate I have a heart rate app and if I use this app it will send the information to health my fitness pal my fitness pal we've discussed that a bit Weight scale and then I have a scale so when I weigh myself it will send the data it collects from that mostly weight and BMI uh, and it will send that to the health app as apps request permission to update your data they will be added to the list devices heading Lisa's iPhone dashboard tab one of four and it just gives the name of my iPhone as the device that is using the health app medical ID tab four of four medical ID this is the last tab let's select that selected medical ID tab four or four this is the one that I feel is really very important emergency personnel and first responders are learning to check for this information what you can do as I'll show you in a moment is set it up so that from the lock screen 
a first responder can press emergency and then medical ID, and they can view the information that you have displayed there. I was speaking recently to a friend of mine who is a doctor, and we had a very interesting conversation. She said she felt that it was very important for anybody who was blind to fill out some kind of medical ID, whether it be on their person or on their phone or similar, stating that they're blind because you can be in perfect health, but if you have an accident and you are not able to speak for yourself, one of the ways that is used to diagnose your condition is to look at your eyes and to see if your eyes can focus or follow or track. And if your eyes do not behave normally, then that can send them down the wrong road of misdiagnosis. And there can be misdiagnosis, there can be wasted time at a time when seconds count. So even if your only health concern is that you are blind, it is still something that would be helpful for a medical person to know in the event that you cannot speak for yourself. And I know that there is a lot of debate about whether or not blindness is considered a health concern, but I think from the standpoint of someone who is diagnosing a medical condition, it may not necessarily be a, quote, health concern. It would be a factor to take into account, especially if your eyes do not behave correctly or maybe even if you have one or two prostheses. If you look at the medical information screen, it will give your name, your birth date, your age, your weight, and any other information you've entered there. It will also give the date on which it was last edited. To edit what is there, you just need to double tap the edit button. Edit button. Edit. Cancel button. Medical ID. Done button. Emergency access. Heading. Show unlocked. Switch button. On. Double tap to toggle setting. I have chosen to allow this. That way it can be seen from the lock screen. If I cannot speak or function for myself, I'm not going to be able to unlock the phone. Your medical ID can be viewed when iPhone is locked by tapping emergency. Then medical ID. Footer. Medical ID photo. One face. Face one. Smiling. Crisp. Well lit. Button. Image. Double tap to change the existing photo. I did put a photo here. I think that's primarily so that they know that the person with whom they're dealing is the owner of the phone. That way they know they've got the right person. Edit photo button. Delete birth date. Birth date. November 27th. Medical conditions. None listed. Text field. Double tap to edit. I have been remiss in filling out this area. However, now that I have done the demo, I will go ahead and do that. This is where I would enter medical conditions. Medical notes. None listed. Text field. Any Double additional tap to edit. 
medical notes, uh, maybe contact information for doctors. Allergies and reactions, none listed. Text field. Medications, none listed. Text field. Insert at emergency contact button. At emergency contact. Insert at blood type button. Add blood type. Insert at organ donor button. At organ donor. Delete weight button. Double tap to delete item. And it's pulled my weight from the scale. Insert add height button. That's interesting because I thought that that would have been gotten from my scale, but it was not, so I will do that. Add height. This information is not included in your health data or shared with other apps. Footer. Delete medical ID. And then you can delete it uh, if needed to start over. And of course, when you're all done editing. Cancel button. Medical ID. Done button. You'll want to find the done button, which is near the top of the screen, and double tap. Done. Medical ID. And that is essentially what is in the health app for now. I think we will see changes and improvements over time. And I personally look forward to knowing what those will be. If you have any questions about this or any topics that we cover, please do feel free to contact us. We'd love to hear from you. You can email us at support at blindalive.com. We're also on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and LinkedIn, all under the same name, Blind Alive. Finally, you can visit our website to check out our workouts and products. Remember, your support allows us to continue our work and bring these podcasts to you. You can visit our website at www.blindalive.com and Blind Alive is all one word. Thanks for listening, and until next time, we wish you good health.